Agency's Wellness Conversation Podcast. The information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a certified wellness professional. And now here's Madoni Njogu, MFT-trained relational and sex therapist with today's episode. Hi, my name is Modani Njogu. Welcome to another episode of Wellness Conversations Podcast. I am so excited for the guest that we are having today. Um, we have in the studio with us Kathy Rutich Holden. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> Kathy, welcome. Thank you, Madoni. I don't even know where to begin. Okay, so let's let's just start off with with, with how we met. Yeah, so we've known each other for quite a while. Go ahead, because you're the one who met me. Oh yes, yes. yeah, most yeah. definitely. <laughs> I think it was really nice how I met you. Actually, um, I uh, had opened my practice, if you remember, just earlier on this year, and I was kind of new to it. And I kind of thought, where else can I find another sex therapist in Nairobi or Kenya, for that matter of fact? And I was like looking it up on Facebook, and then I found Sakina wellness center and then I saw Mudoni Njogu and I was like hey let me just shoot her a quick message <laughs> and I and I thought I thought you were a, yeah, I thought you were like a potential client so I did my whole you know new client spiel and then you're like uh no I'm not really a client <laughs> Okay, so 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 Kathy, so Kathy, you're you're another sex therapist. Let me explain a little bit about Nairobi. We are not as many sex therapists, and so when we meet a fellow practitioner, it's like coming back home, isn't it? Yeah, most definitely, and it's it's so comforting to know that there's more out there that maybe we haven't met and hopefully more you know training to be certified sex therapists in the future i am so excited let me tell you because even for me um deciding to 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 transition specifically to this kind of work was really hard so i was just i used to sort of dance around it you know what was your experience like did you always know you wanted to be a sex therapist or were you like me who sort of like you know dabbled one toe and then a second toe <laughs> and then put the full foot on the pool how is how how do you get to be a sex therapist gosh um i'll try and keep it short <laughs> all the time <laughs> i can talk for hours um okay so what happened was about three years ago um i was having just uh conversation I was at a white party actually with a couple of friends um, some good friends and uh, I came out and said hey I want to be a sex therapist and at the time I was I had just done 10 years in HR so it came as a shock and then they were like oh yeah okay probably that won't happen um, not necessarily saying that it won't happen for me but maybe they didn't take me seriously <laughs> but what I did is um, later on uh, okay so I, I got offered another job after that and I kind of thought oh, it's a step up let me keep on practicing in HR and then um, I just found myself wanting more and more to actually take a course and be certified because I knew if there was one thing that I needed to do as my life's purpose, it would be this work. So I knew what I wanted to do and I took the big leap and started getting certified this January. 
Yay! You know, I am so happy that 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 you you chose yourself. Um, you know, as you're speaking, I was thinking about Joseph Campbell's quote. You know, it says, "Follow your bliss," mm-hmm. right? And and so many of us get into this work, um, whatever avenue it is. It almost is is it may look like a second thought. <coughs> excuse me, to someone who's watching us, but at the core of it, this is the work that ignites us. Mm-hmm. Um, so now that um, you said you've been practicing as a sex therapist for, was it? You said you opened your business in June. In June, yeah. And how has that been for you? Because you know this is Nairobi. This is not New York. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? It's it's actually it's so true. I mean, uh, I'd say it's been challenging, um, and I wouldn't be. Um, like there's there's nothing to hide about it. Uh, it was definitely challenging, um, getting people to open up. Um, but I think the most challenging thing for me was that getting calls from random people when I advertised my business to ask me whether I'm going to have sex with them or whether I have somebody else who's going to have sex with them. So I think also the notion of what a sex therapist does um, is really really misunderstood. So I think that that was my main challenge, actually. Let me tell you, I, 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 and we're not going to be naming names, but for me, um, one of the things that really led me to this work, because as I said, for a long time, I was, I, I, I saw myself as a, as a couple therapist, but I realized how, how important it is for folks who are in great need of our services to be around people that are professional, that are competent, that are trained, and that are ethically bound for me. And and I realized that there's such a big need. People really want to um, feel valued and feel cared for and feel nourished in their primary relationships. Um, and may just need some support in trying to navigate and create what that looks like. And and what I realized that is there are folks out there, we're not going to name names, but there are folks out there who, <laughs> <laughs> who, 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 who advertise their work as sex therapists, but what they offer for people who are in great need is it's not ethical, it's not professional, it's not competent. Mm-hmm. And I think for me that was the last sort of straw that said, you know what, I need, I need, I need to get to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm curious, um, where were you born? Oh, <laughs> what a random question. <laughs> okay, okay, so uh, yeah. I was born in Nakuru, actually. Really? Yeah. I was born in Nakuru. Um, my mom is Russian, my dad is Kenyan, and I grew up here in Kenya until I moved to the UK and I was in the UK for about 15 years. Let, let me first say, when you said your mom was Russian, all I could think of was um, the Olympics that we used to watch as kids. <laughs> <laughs> and vodka and Tolstoy. That's like the only imagery that I have. So it sounds like you are from a very multicultural um, family. How, how has being raised in that family influenced you as, as a wellness practitioner? Hmm. 
Definitely, I think it's, uh, and I would say in terms of my influences for that and who I am today, definitely down to my mom and my dad. Um, I would really not be doing them justice um, by not saying that, simply because they were my pillars. Um, I think I got to experience the best of both worlds, if you, know, if you want to call it that. And of course, this is my personal opinion <laughs> as a mixed race person. Um, and also uh, just getting the opportunity to, to see a different culture, for example, learn about the Russian culture, also understand Kenyan culture. And also being fortunate enough to study in the UK, which I feel so blessed that my dad was able to accord me and, you know, seeing what that culture is like. And London is a very multicultural city. So in terms of the ideas that I have, the open-mindedness that I have, um, the, um, I don't feel restricted by my thoughts or anything that I believe in. Um, I think a lot of the things that I feel and in terms of my core beliefs are very fluid and um, I actually enjoy Oh, the work that I do. I love that. I love that. And it, it's great, isn't it, when we see that even our families of family of origin can play such a pivotal role in the work that we do. In, 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 and it sounds like from your family, just the multicultural aspect allowed you to glean into other cultures and realizing that there is no, <clears throat> no one dominant culture. Yep. Totally. And I'm a strong believer that there is really just one race on earth and it's just the human race. Mm -hmm. um, and I think my exposure to different cultures has really made me see that and understand that and appreciate that. That really we're just all people looking for love, looking for acknowledgement, looking for, um, you know, to be paired up with somebody, you know, looking for friendship, looking for care. We're all looking for the same thing we get hurt mm. the same way or maybe in different in different grades right but we're all the same right I that <clears throat> it, it's it's you know even I um, you know if 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 you ha if we had a video to to record our <laughs> our <laughs> session you know people who want to like wait a minute they see as you call yourself a biracial multiracial woman and me a Muslim woman <laughs> and both of us are sex therapists and and I know that it looks like it is not the norm with the work that we do but what is what is normal what is what does a sex therapist do yeah let's let's start with that let's yeah well wow <laughs> you're making me answer that <laughs> hello sex therapist Okay. Uh, okay. Well, all right. Okay. No, okay. that's that's all right. That's a okay. fair question. Uh -huh. And um, I think one of the main things that we do, and yeah. I'm sure you will agree with me here, is we offer um, a place or a space with no fear, no judgment, no shame. Sexual issues, any kind of sexual issues or anything to do with sex, just the word alone, mm -hmm. emits this shame sometimes. I mean, it um, there's a fear of saying it. There's a fear of being judged. And, and that's what we actually provide. And a lot of these things, um, especially, for example, somebody who's uh, unfortunately had sexual abuse mm -hmm. in their childhood and that childhood trauma, 
then carries on into their adulthood, it can affect them, how they live their life, how they see themselves. And sometimes what you do find in people who've had that early childhood trauma, and especially sexual abuse, they're not able to live a fulfilling sexual life. It's difficult. Mm, absolutely. And and, and and just to just to really to add on to that, I mean for me I I, I, I see myself as a, as a doula, as a midwife for folks, mm. um, because our most, our most um, intrinsic human desires that to connect and to connect deeply. And our bodies are, are the vehicle in a lot of ways on how we connect. And so, as you said, when we, when we have experienced attachment injury mm. in one form or another, um, that, that negates our ability to connect deeply. Mm -hmm. and, and so, just like yourself, I mean, I've had people, <laughs> I have had people call me and, and, and ask me if I offer um, a sex surrogate yes. services, yes. right? But we do know that in the States, they are sex surrogates, which yes. is like a whole other... Yes. I really want to talk about yes. that. Aaron. Can we talk about that? Yeah, sure. Yeah, let's talk about that. So I, there was a movie, um, and I'm going to add this um, on the show notes, and I'm also going to add Kathy's information in the show notes as well. There was, um, there was a, <clears throat> a movie a couple of years back where this guy was um, paralyzed from the neck down. Did you ever watch it? Mm -hmm. I don't think so. Yeah, yeah, there is a movie, and I'll send you. I'll mention that on the show notes. Mm -hmm. And and he he wanted um, to experience some form of sexual contact, mm -hmm. but he couldn't because he was like, you know, paralyzed. Mm -hmm. And so he found um, there was a woman who worked with folks who were um, abled differently. Yes. And 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 she came and she worked with him uh, for about four or five sessions. And he, it was an amazing sort of journey to see that he was able to connect with himself in a meaningful way with somebody else. Mm -hmm. And so she would, she would, um, as they developed trust and and safety, which is very important yes. <laughs> for any work, right? Yes. For any meaningful change and experience, safety and, um, and connection. Mm -hmm. And and he was able to explore. Um, uh, sexual interaction. Obviously, it was rather limited in a lot of ways. Yes. Um, so that's my introduction to sex surrogacy. Mm. What's your? Um, I couldn't possibly add anything more on that. Um, and yeah. I think I just want to um, kind of reinforce that message mm -hmm. to say that a sex therapist does not provide surrogacy. Mm -hmm. And there's an international body in the U.S. that actually does that. Right. And I think that's important for people to understand. Yeah. You, a sex therapist works with a surrogate, mm -hmm. but they don't provide those kind of services. Yeah. Yeah. And I and I think also, it's it's I think it's always good to sort of continuously um, uh, provide um, I think information because people don't really know what we do. Yes. Yes. They just think, yeah, they just think we facilitate sex surrogacy work mm -hmm. and a whole bunch of orgies, right? Yes. 
<laughs> That's and it. And I'm so glad that you said that because uh -huh. even as sex therapists, one of the things that we do is we educate on sex. Yes. We demystify a lot of myths. Mm -hmm. um, you know, if you know, you know. And I think that's a really, really important part of our work. And we can do that through talks. Um, I've had two talks already in Nairobi, one in June and one just recently over the Nairobi Garage, which I found that the audience grew from 13 people to just almost 50. So I know that things are, you know, getting better and I know people are becoming more open to listen. And one, I actually got some feedback today on the talk and, and somebody actually told me, you know what, I just thought sex was just that. But what I learned at the talk, at the workshop was amazing that it has so many levels, that it's it's more than just penetrative sex. It you know it has a lot to do with connection and relationships and you know education, which is really, really important. I'm sure you'd agree. Oh yes I would. <laughs> Let me say congratulations. Um, I wasn't able to come to the, to the talks but I hope the next one yeah. I'll get a chance to because you're absolutely right and and it is not just about penetrative sex but this is because this is the only ideas of sex that we have yes. you know it, it has to it has to look a particular way mm -hmm. a particular style yeah. at a particular time yeah. <laughs> right yeah and so when we have clients um, that don't fit the norm mm. Yes. Right. Yeah. Don't don't feed part of that. Um, mm. Can we say heteronormative norm? Yeah. Yeah. How 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 then as sex therapists do we navigate that um, when we have when we have a religious mm. or spiritual value system mm -hmm. that may not necessarily agree with some of the things that our clients are going through. And I think that's really interesting that you, you said that um, and you've asked that question because I think it's really important for a therapist and it could be in general, it could be a sex therapist. We all have our core beliefs, our systems, you know, everything that influenced us, baby when we were kids, um, from religion to our cultural practices. Uh, but one of the things that we cannot do as therapists is bring that into the room with us. We have to ensure that we are providing a clean slate with no judgment, no shame, and no fear. And by bringing in our own core beliefs into the room with this client, we will do them harm. And one of the things that we're not supposed to do as therapists is do anybody harm. And that can be done through judgment through making somebody afraid and through allowing somebody to feel shame. So it's important that we open up our minds in terms of diversify our thinking and also do a little bit of research. I don't know about you, but I have this amazing tool that I have in terms of the kind of things, I think it's called the comfort scale. Mm. So there's um, uh, there's different kind of things that, that are listed in terms of behaviors and genders and everything. And it gives you an opportunity to rate yourself mm -hmm. so that you can find out um, where you are on the comfort scale with different things. And that also brings awareness to you depending on the kind of clients that are coming in. Mm -hmm. 
It's, it's very similar to, to, to what we are trained. I'm a marriage and family therapist trained. So that's like my, my core foundation. Mm -hmm. And what, as we're going through that training, what, um, what it's continuously implored to us is to always have a level of self-awareness and self-introspection. And, and, to, and to always be aware when we are challenged. Because even as therapists, we, we, we are not a tabula rasa. We are we are what uh, an amalgamation of all our 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 influences, our culture, our family, our religion. Yeah. yeah. And um, and so what I do with with my whoever invites me to their process as their therapist because mm -hmm. it's an invitation. Yeah. Right. I don't just budge and say hey. <laughs> Is I always say that you know I I am I am a Muslim because I I do wear the veil so that's very visible. Mm -hmm. um, but I also say that you know what my work is to hold space for you. Mm -hmm. I am ethically bound to do so. Um, and what that has done for me, it's really opened my heart space mm -hmm. to to hold space for folks I may not necessarily move in the same circles with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I know a lot of people think like like therapy is beneficial for clients. It is, mm. but it's beneficial for us as therapists as well. Most definitely, and and that's why it's so important for a therapist to have a therapist. Absolutely, I. <laughs> Absolutely. In fact, you know, people are like, what? You have a therapist? I'm like, yeah, I, I need a therapist as well. And people are like, but why? But I'm like, in order to be effective and in order to be able to hold space for you in the most competent ways, I need support as well. Yeah, definitely. Definitely, and it's you know it's a recommendation. I know about professional bodies, mm -hmm. um, and it also just feels nice to be heard, to be listened to, to also share mm -hmm. in a place where you know somebody is really listening to you, a professional. I mean, it's great to share with family and friends. People do that all the time, but having a professional to really just listen to you and allow you to go through any process, any triggers, because those those happen. You know, we've, we've all got um, a bit of emotional baggage uh, that we're carrying around, that we are healing through, and it comes out sometimes. So it's really nice to talk to somebody who understands. You're absolutely right. And so there's no shame <laughs> when, you, when you know that your therapist has a therapist. In fact, you know, next time you go see your therapist, ask them if they have a therapist. I think that would be fair. Most totally. Yeah. Totally, yeah. totally. Yeah. yeah, I think that's a really good question to ask. Um, so we want to sort of segue, although you did talk about the calling of your work, how you were doing HR. Yeah. And how that stopped working at some point. Yeah. And then sort of segued into, into, into sex therapy work. Mm -hmm. um, so let's let's talk about like what I know it's not been like a very long time that you've been doing this work, but so far, what experiences have you learned um, that have stretched you? That are I don't want to call them challenges. I want to call them um, opportunity. <clears throat> excuse me, opportunities for growth. Mm -hmm. 
um, what what have you seen have been those opportunities that have really stretched you as a sex therapist? Oh, really good question. Um, I think one of the things that for me is a theme is uh, sex education. And uh, that's one of the reasons I'm really big on sex education, but from a child safety perspective. So, um, and one of the things in certification that you, you know, that, that you learn or that you, you get to see um, and practice is um, the importance of providing age-appropriate information to kids as they're growing up. Now, uh, there's, you know, there's lots of debates where if, you know, if you talk about sex, then they're going to want to have it. I don't necessarily think uh, or believe that this is the case. And of course, I can be challenged probably a hundred times over for this. I do think that if a child is aware of their sexuality, and by the way, this is age appropriate. So what you would tell a six-year-old is not the same as what you would tell a 15-year-old. It differs. If they know or if they're aware of their sexuality, they may be able to save or not experience, for example, any kind of sexual abuse. Not to say that this is a given that it won't happen, but if, for example, they know that this is inappropriate touch, and they feel that they are growing up in a trusted environment and they know who they can actually turn to, let's say a guardian or a specific family figure or a parent, that they can go and report that. That actually can help them. Not knowing whether it's appropriate or inappropriate touch is actually quite dangerous. You know, we're familiar with how um, uh, uh, offenders or people who um, uh, offend in terms of sexual abuse, uh, they groom. And how does that happen with, you know, little bits of uh, inappropriate touch, which you may not pick up if you don't know about it. So I think those, I'm, I'm quite big on that. I, you know, listening to you, and I know we have heard last couple of years conversations nationwide about um, sex education. And like yourself, I, 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 I um, we, we can't live in a bubble. See, we, we can't live in a bubble. Children are a lot more exposed now, but we can forge what they know in an environment that they feel safe where they secure, securely attached to their, their primary caregiver. Mm-hmm. I, and, and I think maybe maybe the uh, could be one of the factors that um, there's so much um, stonewalling mm-hmm. when it comes to, to creating comprehensive age-appropriate. Yes. <laughs> we have to say that. <laughs> we have to say that. We have to say age-appropriate. <laughs> Um, uh, you know, sex education material. It, it maybe it's also because we have never really reconciled what it means to be a sexual being in this African body. Yeah, we were colonized. I and and when you think about the ways that we were colonized, we were not just colonized in our minds. The way that we we understood ourselves 
the way we understood ourselves in our relationships, the way we understood ourselves in, in the environment, the kind of intimate partnerships we had. We, we, and, and, and so that was taken away from us and, and in we were given this um, idea that there was something primitive yeah, and something very um, uh, ungodlike about our very essence. Mm-hmm. I'm thinking about the story of Sajid Bhatman. Sajid Bhatman, for those who do not know, she was a, uh, I think she was a Khoisan or a woman. That's um, she was uh, born in Southern Africa, and so when the I think it was the Dutch mm-hmm. when they were like exploring that part of the world she was captured and she was put in this in this cage and paraded all through Europe wow because now she had she was considered this species mm-hmm. and when she died she died really young they actually went and her body was um, I don't know what they did with her body and was placed in museums for years years and I think maybe 15 years ago or something mm-hmm. I, I am not sure about the timeline how her remains were taken back to Southern Africa mm-hmm. but but we, our bodies there was something inherently evil we were taught mm-hmm. and our indigenous cultures had a very comprehensive sex age appropriate gender appropriate education mm-hmm. they had that they had that and when they would go through this initiation rites both men and women um and understood themselves i don't know if you had that in, in your kalenjin culture what i <laughs> but this is like <laughs> sorry for raising my eyebrows <laughs> You're like, I don't know, I need to ask. <laughs> but I'm thinking, but I'm thinking all cultures had some type of initiatory uh, rituals, right? Yeah, no, they did. And I yeah. think um, from what I remember, because um, I have an elder brother, I know my, my elder brother had that kind of initiation mm-hmm. um, ceremony. Uh, although my sister and I weren't um, exposed to that. Mm. So we didn't experience that. So I think... Um, in in my life or in my childhood, I remember that for my older brother, mm-hmm. and there was uh, an initiation. So I do see where you're coming right. from with that. Right, and 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 in in those times, I know like my grandparents, um, when they became of age, I don't know whether that was eleven or twelve, I don't know, and so the the the, the boys of the village of that age group, that Rika, as we say in Kikuyu, they were. They experienced circumcision. Yeah. They were now taught, okay, now you are becoming a man. This is what is what is required of you. Yeah. But we would never talk about it wasn't just the relationship with the community, it was also the relationship they had with the women in their lives. Mm-hmm. And um, I remember when I was in college, um, one of my professors was saying that if a man was not pleasing to his wife sexually she could always go and speak to her aunts and if that wasn't able to be resolved she could also seek counsel from other men and the, and the council of, of elders mm-hmm. because they understood if, if 
one part if, if one partnership is not going well mm -hmm. the whole community mm -hmm. the whole community was in distress yeah you know like the whole idea of ubuntu i am because you are yeah so so what we're saying like long winding and oh no we're going round and round <laughs> in circles but <laughs> but but you see sex is a very integral part of who we are yep totally and i think uh, me here would be the relationships and when we grew up what that looked like the interactions mm -hmm. let's say you know with our parents or with our parents friends you know mm -hmm. yeah. um what we saw what was okay um did we see holding hands did we see kissing you know what what was love how was love expressed and you know in well my experience certainly was you know it wasn't something that was out there that everybody could see so you know you grow up and kind of seeing that but then you're also getting the western influence where you're watching all these hollywood mm -hmm. movies right yeah? yes yes where yes. you'd see you know the holding hands and the touching and you'd almost or holding hands and you know hugging and you'd almost go and and replicate that as you were growing up and that was certainly my experience and many of us <laughs> <laughs> many of us you know and we only had one tv station remember yes we did just one yeah just one that was showing our age uh-huh yes yeah. I, I yeah we yeah. only have one tv station yes. and i mean and and which which now when we think about it and what you're saying about this sort of schism mm. as to how affection and intimacy um was expressed or what we learned the way it was expressed right yeah and how the only times many of us experienced touch um or so touch um but as as children maybe when we were being punished mm -hmm. and and we never saw our parents or mm -hmm. our relatives be affectionate mm -hmm. it, and it's really simple it could be as simple as just holding someone's hand yeah and and if you think about it it's it's the fundamental um piece when we're growing up as a kid and we're sitting in that little baby chair okay and we're kind of like um uh reaching out for something and you know we reach both our arms up and then we drop something um and you know think about that when you drop it who comes running it could be your mom it could be your dad it could be your caregiver but someone comes running cleans it up and then you know if you start crying gives you a hug and that is what builds self esteem in kids because as a parent you're responsible for your kids emotions and that hug that you give actually reinforces that and then you grow up to be you know a healthy kid where you know that you have to you know there are certain things that you can do to ensure that your emotions are met and I mean wow I I I I was thinking the other day how touch deprived we are like like we really are touch deprived and as as we were as I was coming for for you know, to meet you and record this podcast um I saw some posters we we in an, in we in the I don't know can we call this the suburbs of Nairobi I guess yeah yeah, yeah. so we in another side of town and I saw I saw these posters for a gentleman's club. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And I don't see this in the other side where I live. Mm-hmm. And I I I I imagined that it, it didn't really give a lot of details. But you can if mm-hmm. you if you understand the lingo, you know what this is about. Mm-hmm. And and I imagine and 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 a lot of this is from conversations that I have with my clients how how men struggle with navigating with asking for um, the ways to to connect deeply yeah. and and the issue that many of us have had is is men have been given a very limited container of of allowed approved um, emotional expression like you can be angry but you can't cry okay yeah yeah you can aggressively pursue someone but you can't ask hey I want to be held yeah you know and yeah and so and so some of this so what we're seeing is even with this rise of gentlemen's clubs in Nairobi a lot of them are also serving a new where men have many men have this sense of shame and deep desire to connect but don't know where to put it Mm -hmm. and you know it's funny um well not funny but you know you mentioned that we're deprived of touch and you know as sex therapists we know that there is you know there's there's a variety of different kinds of touch Mm. so there's a sensual touch you know there's a non-sexual touch Mm -hmm. You know, there's there's also that nurturing touch. There's there's so many varieties of touch, whereas sometimes when you're thinking about touch, you automatically just zoom into the sexual side of touch, and it's it's really not so because a hug can actually be comforting and not sexual, but we don't always think about it that way, and you know maybe that's sometimes how we think about it based on our core beliefs or what we picked up when we were kids. Right, yeah, the only way that you saw, you know, the only way that you saw adults touching was anything that was leading to a sexual exchange. That's it. Yeah. That's that's it. So you never saw your mom getting a hug from your dad because she had a rough day. (laughs) (laughs) Do you get what I'm saying? I mean, did you? I don't know. I mean... I mean, I mean, you see what I'm saying? So we, we've been raised to, to really have very limited ideas of the ways that we can interact intimately. Yeah. It's, it's, it's very limited. Yeah. And the thing is, is though, what, why I feel like our work is really um, crucial at this point is because we are, not, we are not growing in isolation. We have the internet. Do you see? Yep. <laughs> we yep. have yep. the internet. Mm-hmm. And so folks have avenues to, to explore some of these things that they have felt um, and have not felt safe. And so the anonymity of the internet is, 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 um, is very comforting to a lot of people yeah. to a certain degree. Yes. To a certain degree. Of course. Yeah. 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 I think it's almost provided a cover. I mean, think of our uh, technology today. I mean, people are hooking up by sending DMs to each other. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. That's happening. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram, 
and right. and you know that's those are those are how we are forming our our social bonds whether it's friendships whether it's romantic um you know then of course you have dating apps mm-hmm. yeah so you know that that's where we where that's where we're kind of headed and if we're hooking up that way um are we always prepared for what comes when we finally meet that's a really good question that's a really good question i was actually i was actually going towards the direction of one of the ways i like your work um, is that you are utilizing technology <laughs> i'm trying to catch up but you <laughs> you are utilizing technology as a way to educate so you are you're doing a lot of psychoeducation you're doing a lot of interaction i wish i was like you i am trying to catch up with you kathy <laughs> i know i i i think when i when i first uh, a few months ago um i i would write articles mm-hmm. and uh literally get like one or two likes <laughs> and i kind of thought okay how can i get more people to really listen to me and and then i realized that we're at this age where you know we there's there's so much information and you know like do we you, you know if you're thinking about getting the information you want it quick and you want it now so how can you get that hey a video you're right you're right let me tell you i just did a video it was like a 3 minute video yesterday it took me 2 hours there were so many retakes i was like i'm not i'm not about this life like <laughs> so so when i see your work and you are very consistent with this i think even have you have like a timeline like a time that you have to go and post your video at a certain time yeah. every day yeah so i i post on whatsapp facebook instagram um all my personal accounts and my business account which is the elementary wellness center um so i post every morning 7 a.m. and there's a video every sunday so and that's that's consistent I I she is YouTube Kathy is utilizing social media so I am going to link all her social media platform channels on the show notes. You know, I'm looking at the time and I'm like, you know, it's almost an I told hour. you we can talk for hours. <laughs> I I mean, okay, so I guess I guess because we need to sort of wind down. Yeah. Um I need to ask you because this is a wellness conversations podcast mm-hmm. and my purpose for this mm-hmm. my purpose with this podcast is to have delightful conversations yeah. with with different wellness uh, practitioners and not just therapists mm-hmm. um because i i see that we are all holistic and we have all these different understandings of wellness so what is wellness look to you miss routine hold on okay thank you <laughs> <laughs> you could have just said Kathy. But, um, I could have, but I don't know. This is like way more fun. <laughs> no, I know. Um, I guess for me, um, wellness is um, what we're looking at. It's it's actually um, it's inside out. So wellness for me is taking care of who you are on the inside, and then that can actually help you feel better on the outside. 
um, I'm a big believer that you know we you know our brains are amazing our brains are um, uh, can you know that's where a lot of information is stored our memories um, you know if you're thinking about the limbic system a part of our brain which is you know the animal side of the brain where it's fight or flight you know protect and then you have your you know your frontal cortex which is the one that's kind of thinking you know how is that functioning you know is everything okay and one of the things that limits us is when we have trauma um, because what happens is our limbic system kind of ties in with our body and you know as much as our thinking brain is kind of saying yes I want to do this our limbic system is shutting it down because it's shutting down our body um, I'm also a big believer in terms of the uh, where wellness is also um, on the outside uh, so for example the stomach it's our second brain. A lot of um, you know, hormones are actually in there and that's one of the reasons why we need to have a good balance. Um, so it's, it's really inside out and uh, gosh, that's an, you know, it's an interesting question because what would wellness look like to me? I think wellness would look like to me in terms of everybody's actually going through a journey. Everybody has struggles. Everybody has things that they're working on. And you know what, it, it never ends. And what can we do to be the happiest that we can be? And how do we define ourselves without the things and the people in our lives? Who are we? That would be wellness for me. Wow, I really love that. I'm just listening to you and I'm like, oh my God, talk about neuroplasticity. Oh my God, <laughs> she's talking about gut health. <laughs> oh, wait a minute, as above, so below. Like, it's it's true, like, wellness is really a comprehensive, and yet it's subjective, because what is wellness to you is wellness to me. It not, may not be wellness to me. Like, it's, yeah. it's, it's specific to your experience. Yeah. And I like what you said when you said that, that really life is a journey. Mm. I think Aristotle, um, described it best when he said you know the journey is a destination so the yummy delicious part is not when you reach there mm -hmm. it's how you get there yeah which is why I like the work that we do because because the pleasure of sex is is not necessarily orgasm at the end how it's all the things in between all the things in between there you go it's all the stuff that's in between and our job I believe is to support folks in, in, in that process and finding themselves and finding what they like and if it's something that they don't like how do they how can they come to terms with it because there are some things that you can't change but how do you come to terms with it how are you truly fulfilled how can you have a fulfilling sex life and you know it, it seeps into the relationships that we have and how you're building intimacy and passion in your relationship mm. and whether that's for one day or for a lifetime we're not to judge and that's where we will end <laughs> <laughs> I think you have to come back I think you have to come back Kathy <laughs> Miss Holden no, no, I'm just gonna be calling you Miss Holden now that's okay <laughs> We have to come back because, um, because I feel that the, the the and which is really the core purpose of this podcast is 
is this types of conversation. Yeah. Because I believe, you know, you and I have these conversations, right? We are practitioners, so we can have these conversations. But what about someone out there who would want to have these conversations but doesn't have or doesn't know where to start? Yeah. And whatever content that's out there is very specific to a particular location. Yeah. But you see, we're in Nairobi. Mm-hmm. This makes perfect sense. Yeah. So I hope you join us next time, right? Almost definitely. Almost definitely. So, Miss Holden. Here we go again. <laughs> we, uh, thank you for joining us. I will definitely add all your information on the show notes. Uh, please connect with Miss Holden on Instagram, Facebook. Facebook, Instagram. Instagram, LinkedIn, and yeah, what's up? And what's up? Mm-hmm. Right. So um, I guess until until then, um, thank you so much for listening. And uh, remember, healing is your birthright. Next, we'll listen. I guess we'll, I'm so excited. I don't want this to end. <laughs> I don't want this to end. So until next time, enjoy the rest of your days, and we'll talk soon. All right. Bye. Bye. is wellness conversation podcast the information shared on this podcast is not a substitute for seeking help from a certified wellness professional